Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese podcast. Today we have a, do I say up and coming? Do I say a new artist who is definitely already making a splash on TikTok? Heidi Rojas. Hola, Heidi. How are you? Hola. Muchas gracias. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's so great to meet you. Oh, it's so good to meet you too. I, we we met through TikTok, obviously because you started putting out and we will get to it the a song that I think is just is resonating with a lot of people. So we will get to that in a moment. But let me read your bio and then we always get to the wine before we get into the cheese may, right? <laughs> Heidi Gohas is a hit songwriter, artist, and first-generation Latina based in Los Angeles. She wrote two UK number one singles, Little Mix's first single, Wings, and Cheryl Cole's single, Crazy Stupid Love, among many other notable releases. She's also songwriting and, and a performance coach with many students around the world. Heidi also develops artists using her 15 years of experience and relationships in the music industry to help her artists fulfill their career goals. Her debut single, La Situación, came out, well, by right now it's as of yesterday, but by the time this comes out, it's going to be a couple of weeks that it came out. Congratulations, first of all. <laughs> Thank you. It's so exciting. It's perfect time to cheers with our wine. Or I don't know if you're drinking wine. If you're drinking wine, let me know. What are you drinking? If not, okay. I will share what I'm drinking. Well, so I have... Water in a wine glass, which I feel like is a really good country music song about like <laughs> really sad, a really sad country music song about water in a wine glass. But in this wine glass yesterday, last night was a really nice white Stoltman, just in a really beautiful, I think it was like a Chenin Blanc uh, from Stoltman, which is like mid, um, it's like central coast. And that's our favorite place. Los Olivos is like amazing little wine uh, country area. And so that's what I was drinking last night. And that's my preference. I love like a nice white, like a dry white. Oh yeah. If I drink a white, it needs to be a dry white. And I've also realized, and I haven't talked about this in a minute, like I would always say, I don't like a Chardonnay, but I realize I don't like barrel aged Chardonnays oh, because okay. barrel aged, yeah. Barrel aged Chardonnays are too buttery. They're too heavy. I just realized, but I like do like steel aged Chardonnays because they tend to be more fruity and they can be a little bit more dry as well than the barrel aged Chardonnays. So I'm actually drinking a 2020. I know, right? Like all of these little things that you start learning when you get it, when you're starting to learn about wine, it's always really, really cool. Very uh, cool. And there's yeah, never I don't like lack Chardonnay. of stuff. I yeah. Like, you don't like Chardonnay? It's too buttery. It's too thick. So maybe yeah. I would have the same, you know, like preference to that. You yeah. said barrel aged is the one that's really kind of heavier, right? Yes. And so then what was the other one that you said steel you like? aged steel barrel? Steel it's barrel a steel aged. barrel aged. Okay. Yeah. Learn something. So it's the wood barrel aged. So when they're talking about oak and new oak and French oak and all these oak and bloke, bloke you know, oak and the bloke. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> those are the ones that are really heavy, but the steel the steel barrel ones aren't. So speaking of, actually, I am having a Chardonnay this morning. I mean, let's be real. It's 10 o'clock in the morning when we're <laughs> yeah. recording this, right? <laughs> so most people are like, why? Look, 
my community knows that I do this for them. <laughs> I it's the sacrifices it's you the make. Sacrifice right? that I am willing to make. Uh at 10 o'clock in the morning to have a glass of wine to make sure that they get the content that they're coming to coming your murder. <laughs> you are God's chosen to, <laughs> to do the Lord's work. It's just, ugh, it's the, it's the, the burden you, you carry. <laughs> yeah, it is. Look, see, even I can't even wear a full sweatshirt because <laughs> the burden is so heavy. <laughs> it's just so heavy on your shoulders. <laughs> I am drinking a Maldonado Family Vineyards uh, Napi, 2020 Napa Valley, Napa Valley Chardonnay. I can't <laughs> Napa Valley Chardonnay. And this one is, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but I actually created the very first directory of Latino wine brands based in the United States. Wow. So I've developed these really amazing relationships with a lot of these vintners and they are so generous and wonderful and amazing and support me as well. So this is one of the vintners. I know you can't really see it because of the green screen. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh yeah. No. So it's kind of, I know it sounds weird. It has like a little bit of a green oh. tint to it. So it's like, you definitely see the yellow, but there's like a tinge of green, but it's not a bad thing. Cause I have actually tried this one before. And this one is very citrusy. I can, mm. and um, I smell. Also, it's like grassy as well, which I love. Oh, salud. Salud. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, I mean, if we're going to start out, start out right. Exactly. Start the day right. (laughs) Could not agree more. (laughs) So I'm really excited to talk to you because you came out with this, your, your first single, but even just reading your bio, like I had no idea you, I, I, saw you on TikTok. I saw you talking about, and I think the first video I saw of you was you having your mom listen to the song for the first time. And I think that was the first time that I saw your videos. So girl, we're going to go back. Um, (laughs) Back to like only really a month ago or something. (laughs) Um, But you are Cuban in Guatemala. Yes. And I, uh, and your first gen. So I'm very interested in hearing like how you grew up and what was more influential growing up. Cause I feel like it's never 50, 50, right? It, even if it's 60, 40, there's always one side of our culture that pulls at us a little bit more. So I would love to hear kind of that experience of you growing up. Oh, okay. Yes. So that now you go, you're saying back, back. Now I get I'm it. Back, back. I thought you were saying like the video with my mom. I was like, that was a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back. back, back. We're going back, back. Okay. So to go back, back. Yes. I, so my, my dad was born in Cuba. He came here when he was seven. He was born in Havana. He came here with his, his two siblings and his parents. That's it. They were sponsored by a family to live in Lansing, Michigan, and they were put on a list during the revolution, like a waiting list, and it took them eight years. My dad was born during that time, and he lived in Lansing. You know, he's seven in a new school, lip syncing the Pledge of Allegiance because he didn't know it in the morning and just didn't know English and was just like thrown into this world, into the U.S. My mom came when she was 16. Her aunts and uncles were pastors. So she came and started living with them and taking class uh, school and just fell in love with my dad and decided to stay. And they grew up in Lansing. I was born in St. Louis, Missouri when, when they were 25 years old. And I grew up a first gen Latina living far away from my family. Um, my mom and dad are, they're immigrants into the U S and so they had the most, it was just, I look back and I just think how incredibly brave they were to come here, to learn the language, to take on so much. I mean, my dad's college counselor, like in high school, you know, recommended that he not apply for colleges, you know, because he was, you know, there was so much racism. There was so much like stereotyping of what, oh, this is what you'd be good at. And it was like the things that, you know, just that it was never seen. Unfortunately, that still happens. And it still happens. It still happens. My dad was so determined that he was like, you know what, I'd like a new college counselor. And so he got, 
he got us reassigned to somebody else. And that person helped him apply to Michigan State. So I'm here because of the incredible challenges that my parents faced head on and overcame as immigrants into the US. And, um, you know, and through my dad's corporate success, we moved around quite a bit. I grew up in Chicago. And so I grew up with surrounded by white people who did no one looked like me, just absolutely no one. And so that was difficult. It was hard. Um, it was also before the internet and before there was Encanto and Vivo and all this incredible representation on TV. And so I only saw Disney movies with blonde and, you know, every, that's all anyone saw. So that was the measure of beauty. And so I, very early on, the messages I was receiving were not very encouraging. And I definitely like took them and ran with them and established an identity that was not like embracing my individuality. When I was out with my friends, it was more one of just like, be like them. And then I could come home with my family. We listened to Alejandro Sanz and Luis Miguel and Shakira and Ricky. Like we, you know, the, and we ate like ropa vieja and all the food, like everything. Um, you know, my, my Latin culture was very much ingrained in me at home. I spoke fluent Spanish, but out, it was definitely another story more to, you know, survive and blend in so that we could, you know, um, yeah, it was survival. And so that was kind of um, my upbringing. That's not the first time I've heard that story. Mm-hmm. I know it's not going to be the last time I I hear that story, which is really heartbreaking mm-hmm. um, because I have my own, my own story, right? My own thing. I'm second gen. And the differences of like most of my friends came from communities of color. They were Filipino, they were Mexican, mm-hmm. Guatemalan, Korean, Vietnamese, like those were, there were a lot of white people around, but it was like, I was magnets with other people that came from communities of color. Uh But my first language is not Spanish because my parents used to have to, they would get in trouble because their first language is Spanish. And then they would get in trouble for speaking Spanish Uh and they didn't want us to go through the same thing. So I would be jealous when my friends would go to Mexico because most of my family had migrated to California by that point. Uh And so I would get jealous that my friends had family in Mexico, that they would be able to go and do this and, you know, like spend summers there and everything. But I didn't ever get berated for my lack because then their parents would make sure I would speak Spanish. And then my grandparents until they passed would speak Spanish to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I get in regards to like always trying to fit in because I was trying to fit in in a different way mm-hmm. or, or, or in both ways. Right. We try and fit yeah. in, fit in where you get in, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the things when you were younger that you remember? Because I think there's things that we subconsciously do to fit in. Yeah. But what are the things that you like know you remember doing because you didn't want to feel different? Because as a kid, you you don't want to feel different. Oh, totally. I mean. Oh my gosh, I did so much. <laughs> I remember when I was eight years old, we were living in Indiana for a couple of years. And that's even, it was like a smaller town with less diversity. I mean, it was just like no diversity. And I was eight years old and I came home. I was wearing these little overall shorts and I sat on the floor in my brother's room because my mom was in there. And I said, mom, I have le- I have dark hair on my legs. Like I have black hair on my legs and I'm not supposed to. They told me at school, like it's weird and not cool. So I was like, I want to get rid of them. Right. So it was like at that point, bleach or shave. And I'm like eight years old. So I started, you know, like bleaching my legs because, and then I, then I'm like, get older and I'm like, huh. And I have it on my arms and I have it on my upper lip and I have it. And it just always was this. um, I just remember sometimes like my upper lip, somebody would make a joke and I would just feel so terrible at school that I would tell my mom that I didn't feel good so I could come home. And I, or I would like sit there all day and like covering up my mouth, my face during class, just feeling like I had this like mega mustache on my face. And cause no one else had to deal with it around me, you know? And then I wore a lot of Abercrombie. I wore a lot of puka shell necklaces, a lot of Doc Martens just to, and like, listen to a lot of puka shell necklaces. I remember when those were, yeah, <laughs> a lot of Britney Spears and a lot of, um, 
you know, Christina Aguilera, who, who at the time I had no idea was Latina because she was like definitely not talking about that. And then, you know, I remember when I was in eighth grade, my bro, uh, my dad made ropa vieja for my classroom because it was like a social studies assignment. It was like bring something from somewhere that you've been or that you're from or something like that. And I was just like, okay, well, I'll just bring, I'll bring food. I'll bring, like, I was so proud of my, like, I think everyone will love this. And then I bring ropa vieja to the classroom and they're like, what is ropa vieja? And I'm like, well, it's technically called old clothes, but it's not, it's beef and like, and they're like, ew, that's disgusting. I'm not eating old clothes. And like more than half of them didn't even like refuse to taste it. And I remember that message to me was just like your culture, your food, it's all weird and gross. Nobody likes it. And so don't do that again. Don't put yourself out like that again, you know? So then it was just, receiving messages consistently that if you're not like us, we're going to constantly let you know that. And you're going to feel bad because I did it. I don't know. I just, I I wasn't one of those kids who could be like, put the earphones in and walk through the the hallways confidently. Cause like, I don't care what people think. Like I did, I'm a cancer. I think I'm really sensitive and I do care. You know, I cared a lot. And at that age, it's hard not to. And so I do, I have a lot of memories and, you know, they carried into like high school. I, I dyed my hair. I like, I was pretty blonde in high school for a while. I was doing highlights and stuff and just, you know, it's just like the age of the highlight, the chunky highlight, the the chunky. chunky Yes. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I fully jumped on that train, but I got off every train I jumped on. I got off eventually. And I started to really lean more into the colorful, just like vibrant style inside of like, of, you know, Latino culture. And now I'm, I'm like a different person and it feels that I was always, she was always in there, but she was muted, you know, uh, Mm. in in small ways, um, in some big ways. And so now I look back on it and I'm just look at the pictures and I'm like, yikes. (laughs) But it's a learning experience, right? You learn, I think so many of us, especially girls. And I don't, I I don't want to invalidate the feelings of boys, but I don't know what that is like, Uh but teenage girls can be ruthless. Middle school girls are even more ruthless. I think. Yeah. Middle school, I think that any, I have friends who are middle school teachers and I'm like, God bless you seriously, because for sure. Oh my gosh. Like anybody who's gone to middle school in the United States, I don't know how it is anywhere else, but I know like it is wacky. It is great. Like people, like kids are ruthless. Yeah. Um, Uh how did music, cause obviously music is a big part of your life. How did music play in your life growing up? I mean, you were sharing some of the 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 artists that I think many of us grew up listening to, but I think when you are somebody who's a songwriter, it hits you in a different way. And I feel like you probably seek out other genres of music because you just want to absorb it. So how what, how did that play into your life growing up? Yes. Music was, so I, I grew up going to church. My parents, you know, my, I was raised Christian and there was a lot of music at church. And I started singing at church when I was eight, I started writing songs when I was eight. And most of them were worship songs like that. I, because it's, you know, what, that's what I knew most of was like, you know, worship songs. And so then I'm like, I want to say that I was like 10 or somewhere between 10 and 12 when I got the Pies Descalzo album. And Pies Descansos was like one of, you know, Shakira's first album. And it was like her Alanis Morissette equivalent kind of a feel. It was like. That was the, well, that was the, the dreads, na- na. right? The, lo- the locks. The dre- yeah, exactly. Yeah, the locks, not dreads. Don't call them dreads. I'm sorry. Just, I had learned that you shouldn't call them dreadlocks, just locks. Because oh, okay. apparently, and if somebody has more information, please tell me because this is what I like speaking to somebody else and, and reading about it. Dread was a short for dreadful in regards to the hair. Oh, so that's where dreadlocks, wow. like it's like a terror, like, so you don't call them dreadlocks. You just call them, just locks. call them locks. Oh my gosh. The origin of words is just 
It's fascinating. That's right. Crazy. Yeah. I would never want to call them dreadful. So that's, yeah, that's helpful. Locks. Locks. Um, Locks. Yeah, not, and then they're different, different sizes are called different things and everything. So some of my friends and I were having this conversation and they were educating me and I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. So I'm trying to be mindful in regards to that as well. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. So that was the album and it was just, it felt like the first time I was listening to someone representing my people in a way that was relatable that I was like, Oh, my friends would actually like this. Like they would, you know, they would listen to this too, if it was in a language they understood. And so it just, it like cemented something in, in, in me that just felt so, I was so inspired, but then I graduated early from high school and I was like touring and singing at churches and different anywhere that would really have me to just perform, released a couple of songs. And then I went to college. I, you know, my dad is huge proponent. My parents are both, you know, of education. It's so important. And so it wasn't really a choice that I had. He was like, actually he did, which I love because I'm, I'm all about giving my kids choices too, but he gave me two choices. He was like, you can do this, which was like essentially be homeless and like, you know, just like, you can move out or you can go to college. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like a really unattractive option. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like the most unattractive option I have ever heard, or you can go to college and I'll support you and, and help you through it and everything. And so I was just like, okay, I think I'll choose that one. So I went to school and got a degree in business for marketing first with a, you know, specialty in music, um, which is incredible because it's been really helpful in helping build business, you know, businesses that I, and so I, I feel like music was always at the center. Like the, the, you know, those four years, I was just like, what am I going to do? Like my music career will be over once I graduate and I'm 22 years old, like it's over for me. <laughs> Cause at that time it was like, they were taking girls like Britney Spears when she was 16 and like building into that, you know, like that was the only pop artist, like really. And Shakira was super young. And so I just thought, well, when I'm 22, I'll be this like old lady, nothing to offer the music. So like, all right, like I'll, I guess I'll figure something else out. But then of course I turned 22, realized I'm still a baby. And, and then I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And that was a really good transition for me. Cause I started working at Warner brother records and t- like I was in into meetings that artists could only dream of on the inside and learned a lot. And so, you know, about record labels and and being an artist. So I moved to LA when I was 24 and I was like, I want to be the Latina Lauren Hill. This is my dream. It's always been. And, and I released a little EP and started writing, getting into rooms and writing with, um, people for other artists. Cause that's just like a quick way to just kind of plug and play, get in there into rooms. Cause I had, I'd never had my, I mean, I had had my heart broken by this guy who I thought was like the one, but then, you know, like time passes and you realize like that wasn't it. So I'd never really yeah, been in love. He just gave me fuel for my songwriting. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'd never really been in love. I'd never really had my heartbreak. I'd never really. So I like, I was just writing songs about what everybody else, you know, what I figured people would want to hear. It was never authentically like deeply about me. Cause I'd also never done the work to really dig in and figure out like who I was either they were generic songs that were met with kind of generic smiles, you know? And, but when I was channeling and helping other artists who had a lot more like fire and intensity and like, were definitely their emotions were like pulsing in the room. Cause they were going through it more and more raw then I could help them more. And so, but I think it was just me unwilling to be vulnerable enough to really dig in and, sh- and share what was really inside of me until recently. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. No, I just find that very fascinating because I think so for so many of us, it's hard to be vulnerable, especially. And I feel this when you say that, because especially when you've been in places where you never feel like you fully fit in, you don't want to open up because if you open up, you're afraid of people's reaction. Right. And so, yeah, so it becomes very, very hard and you kind of build this wall Exactly. like, oh no, sorry, this is as far as you get. That's kind of, you know, it. And I can see how that would affect 
your songwriting. Totally. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese mix. Given the purchasing power of the Latina community, let me just tell you, mi gente, we are no longer a sleeping giant. And your dollar, our dollar, is powerful no matter where you go. That's why I'm excited to share that in conjunction with Cadena Collective, we have launched a pozole and wine pairing guide. You might think, what? That's interesting. Or what? That's weird. Or what? Heck no, no way. But you know what? We all like to enjoy different things. This truly only featured Latina owned wine brands, have worked really, really hard to provide wines that go with so many of our foods. So if you've even considered trying tamales and wine, or you've even considered trying pozole and wine, head over to the wineandcheesemepodcast.com, click on media, and there you will find the various resources to pair your wine. We're going to get into your song and I want to play a part of it and everything. <laughs> like I said, I know it speaks to a lot of people. How did you get from that point to like, I mean, I know who Little Mix is. I know who Cheryl Cole is. I've never really listened to the music. Mm-hmm. So how did you get from this point of moving to LA? You're 24 years old. You're like, okay, I found this gift where I can help other people because you're not willing to help yourself yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Into writing and co-writing these songs for these very big UK artists. Yeah. So my first session out here was with this artist named Alan Stone, who's this incredible, soulful artist. He went on to put the song that we wrote together on his album. I ended up being in Paris, like at the very same week that he was doing a show and he opened the show with his song. And I was just like, this is the coolest. I can like live a normal life. I don't have to dig into my, like my stuff. (laughs) I can just always pretend like I just have it all together and don't know, you know, don't care about what other people think. And then I can just help other artists. So from there, it was like the songwriting career is essentially writing, just going into different sessions every day, whether it's with an artist or another co-writer or just a producer or, and I was doing two sessions a day for years. And from that, you just are kind of like throwing spaghetti on the wall and you just hope that some of the songs make their way through the impossible maze of the industry to then get a place out there in the world. And so of like hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of songs that I wrote in those years, there was, you know, truly only a handful that had any relevant like movement. And so I had songs on TV shows and I had you know, I was, I had a song that this DJ um, named Sam Feld, who's an amazing tropical house DJ, he left my voice on the song and featured me. So then I got to perform at Coachella in 2016, which was incredible. Wow. Um, yeah. And that was That's huge. Um, it was, Congratulations it was on that. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. It was like 15,000 people who had no idea who I was, you know, it's Coachella. So they were probably they like, for you. Yeah, exactly. But they were cheering for me and it just, it was amazing. And I, I got off stage and I was like, Casey, I think that was my retirement show. Cause like, how do I, yeah, that's a peak of, you know, there's just no way to, you know, to top that. But the big, you know, those artists, Little Mix and Cheryl Cole, they have more of like a soulful, you know, that's where that like Latina Lauren Hill, I was, you know, mm-hmm. referencing. It's like, I always had like a soulful approach to my pop songs that I wrote. So the UK was a really welcome place because they're very soulful. They have Ed Sheeran, Adele, like they're, so it's essentially like with Little Mix, for example, we wrote a piece over a track that they had already chosen for the artists um, because they had just won X Factor. And so this was going to be their next single. They needed uh, ideas. And so we wrote something, someone named Ian James, who's an excellent songwriter, uh, kind of like mod podged the whole thing together. And then our piece was in there. And so we were like, yay. And that was my first number one in the UK. And it's really just like writing and writing and writing, and then hoping that something sticks. And some of my favorite songs are still on my laptop and my mom's laptop (laughs) and may never, you know, see the light of day, but that's just how it all works. But it felt really safe. It was super comfortable because I came home and put my PJs on and was like a normal person. And it was awesome. Okay. I'm going to ask, like, we really need the chisme on this. (laughs) Because as lay people, 
we hear that writing is that's where the money is. Is this correct? <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because I have formed a group of nine women have formed together too. It's called Songwriters Under New Government. There's an incredible organization called SONA, which is Songwriters of North America. We are, uh, there's so much happening in Capitol Hill to push for songwriters to be paid more because it's not true. Songwriters used to, before the album was broken up into singles, into songs, it used to be very lucrative because you could write track 11 and you would make just as much money as the radio single because everyone had to buy the album in order to get that radio single song, right? Mm -hmm. So when the album was broken up, now it's only the single is getting that revenue. The album cut is only making what how many, you know, what people buy of that or stream of that. And then with, um, now there's over a hundred thousand songs, I think being uploaded like a week to streaming services. And so it's just so oversaturated and it's just hard even now for the biggest pop artists in the world to actually break through all the noise. And so it's really hard to be a songwriter right now. And there's a lot, um, that's happening to try to help fix that. But the powers that be don't really want to give away all the money that they have. So that's like a whole other, it's really not true. Yeah. Got it. I mean, well, girl, that's why we got to ask. We got to get the cheese, man. We yeah, you got really it. happening. Yeah. Because you think they're, you know, the songwriters are living in these big mansions and it's like, you know, once you realize, oh, it's actually not true. They're not being compensated fairly, but that song, you're like, man, that song really impacted me though. I would love for the person who wrote it to be paid compensated because the producer gets paid. The, the person who mixed the song gets paid. You know, it's the master owners, the record label, those people are getting paid, right? It's the songwriter who gets paid the least. And that's the person who wrote the lyric and the melody that you sing in the shower. Yeah. You're not playing the drums in the shower, you're singing the lyrics. And so those are the ones that affect you and deeply in your heart, but it's, those are the people who get paid the least. Wow. So people should know. Thank you for asking. <laughs> no, girl, yes. I was like, hmm, I hear this. Let's find out if this is true. Yeah. Right? When you get people that know, right? Myth busted. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's do something about it now. <laughs> so you have this amazing time in front of 15,000 people at Coachella. So was there like, because I believe when you were saying, I think one of your TikToks had said something about you thought you had given up on your dream and now you've realized. So was that your swan song for a while? And then what, like, fill in the gaps, girl. Yes. Fill okay, in so the, the gaps. gaps. <laughs> the gaps from 2016. Boy, was there a gap. Okay. So there was a gap from 2018 to, so 2016, I went back home and I was just like, no, I wasn't. I, I, um, to, to kind of tie into what you said, I spent, I spent 2016 to 2018. I spent that time only working with, I was so, you know, the, the me and myself and the, and this group called sung songwriters under new government, we decided we were like, we're not going to walk into a room. We're not going to do a session unless we're getting paid a, a day rate, a fee. Uh, we're not going to work for free anymore. So I spent 2016 to 2018 only doing sessions with labels, artists, and it's people who would pay me to show up and write with them. Um, and it was awesome. It was, it went really, really well. It was fantastic. Trying to build up that respect that it's like, no, I don't work for free. And it was never really free. It was always like, I also had to buy my own lunch. I had to pay for my own gas. Like it was costing me. Right. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I did those two years. Then 2018, I got pregnant with my daughter, Luna. And I started nesting so hard. It was wild. We bought a house. I started renovating it and it was just, you know, and then I gave everything and I just, you know, became a mommy. And then she was one and I found out that I was pregnant with again. And so <laughs> then, and then the pandemic hit and I had Santiago uh, in 2020. And so now I've got my little girl, I've got my little boy, he's two and a half almost now. And, but it was really in about, it was last, it was last summer that things started to shift like creatively, but I did, it was, the, it was like pandemic, hardcore pandemic. 
I started coaching. I started songwriting coaching, which was really just me trying to stay creative, create my own hours and stay inspired. Zoom, you know, became super normal and usable for kids because they were all mostly on Zoom class school anyway. And so I was working with and still do work with artists and actors and people on Broadway, like from all over the world who um, need feedback on their songs or need me to help them with auditions or performances or anything like that. And it's so much fun. It's only a couple hours a day and it's really flexible for me as a mommy. But the having these babies changed my whole world. I am a completely different person. And I focused from the second she was born on being the best person that I could be so that I was a I had an incredible childhood, but everybody still has issues, right? And so I didn't want to project my stuff onto my kids. And I wanted to really intentionally um, be there for them. And so that's when I started deconstructing my religious upbringing. I started to like really look into my Latinidad and why I like all of my insecurities and a lot of them were around being looking different in all these, in almost every room I'm ever in, I was either the brown girl or I was la gringa. Because a lot of times when I'm in a room full of Latinos, I don't feel Latina enough, whether they're, they're treating me different that way and giving off that vibe, or I'm just fully insecure and feeling it, even though they're totally just being super nice. It's just there. It's an, it's, and, and once I feel that, cool, fun, like get to know me, Heidi turns into like little kid, little Heidi, who has no idea how to even like where to put her hands and is just super awkward and and not cool at all. So it was just, that's when it was like last summer, I was at like peak desespera to like break this and to change and to find relief because it was controlling me like socially and maybe it was the pandemic kind of ending and me starting to go back out there you know into the world and it all coming back to me like oh I haven't had to deal with this for so long this is miserable I don't want to go out anywhere and really wanting to look inward to be like what is what's happening here honestly that makes total and complete sense because like I said I when I was listening to it I feel like probably a lot of people hit them, right? I, because of how I grew up and the people I grew up with, I didn't feel like, I mean, I always felt like not, I felt not enough when I was younger, not because my friends made me feel that way, mm-hmm. but because they had this connection to Mexico that I didn't have. Yeah. Right. In regards to still yeah. having family there and still visiting and still, you know, and I didn't have that because most of my family was here. Right. Or like my grandpa's family was still there, but we never visited. But you never, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. And um, I didn't feel, because my friends were always like, you know, just who I am internally, my Latinidad was, was the language that was always the difference, right? Mm-hmm. But everything else, I felt like I didn't ever feel different in that way until yeah. I became an adult. Okay. And then I would have certain people say, you're not a real Mexican because my Spanish is not perfect. Uh You're not this or you're not that. And you, as well as I, Uh and I probably mentioned, I know I mentioned this in probably every single episode, but it's true. We're light-skinned Latinas. And with that comes the way that people perceive you is very, very different, Uh you know, in regards to people who are darker complected. Uh So I have not personally ever been called like a white Tina, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I could be in a room with a hundred people and there could be one person that speaks Spanish and they will come straight to me, right? Mm-hmm. That always happens, which okay. I'm fine with and everything. So I know that people know, people always think I'm Puerto Rican for, before anything actually. But mm-hmm. so people, I feel like obviously people know that I'm Latina, mm-hmm. but there's still that like, we hate on each other so much. It's the self-hate that we have amongst one another that we, where this no sabo kid phrase came from, which I absolutely hate with not being, you know, Latino enough. Now, if it's, it's a self-hate, if you're not helping your people, I think, if you're not helping your people doing anything to 
then maybe there's something different. But when you, people project their insecurities onto others. And that's, I think, what probably people were doing to you and to me. And I think that your song probably hits on something that really hasn't been discussed in a song and and globally in a very large way. Maybe I think there's tones of it. There's ways that we touch on it, but it's not have been a real conversation amongst our, our communities. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. I feel like there's a very like black and white approach. It's one way or the other. It's one, you're, you're Latino or you're white or you're this or you're that. And it's just like, there's so many people that are mixed that are in between that are a hundred percent like me. Like I'm a hundred percent Latina. I was, you know, born in the United States. So I am Latina Americana, but my roots, my blood is all from somewhere else. Right. And so, but I've assimilated in ways, you know, voluntarily, some forced, you know, um, and so in ways that are complicated and confusing for me to understand sometimes. And that in and of itself creates stories we tell ourselves about our identity, about who we are, about how we fit in, about if we're enough or if we're too much or if we're, you know, that I think are really important to talk about. And but truly when I, I was processing through this, learned about colorism, which is a word I had never heard of. And, but it was, it's so true because I, I, I mean, like you go to Guate, you go to everywhere, right? There's colorism within all of our own communities, within our own, and then even to each other, like different countries in Central America and South America, we all do it to each other then, you know? Mm-hmm. And it builds up division that is just, it's all in there. They're little microaggressions that we all, you know, feel and sense and that we are telling ourselves things about ourselves that are not helpful. And then we go and we want to be in the rooms with, you know, we deserve to be in these corporate rooms with a bunch of white people. We deserve there to be more representation in media, in everywhere. But if we're fighting each other, for a space. It's like the greatest compliment that somebody posted and I had never heard it before. So I started looking into it, but they were like, Oh, she brought the whole table. And I was like, what is she talking about? <laughs> like the whole table. And now, and like, you didn't I just bring a seat. You didn't just bring a seat. You didn't you just brought, bring a seat. You brought the whole thing. Yeah. The whole table. As like, most Latinos do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and build I was the like, table, we design the table, we build the table we invite our whole familia and we make the food for the table girl that's just who we are (laughs) it's who we are right but like I had never heard that before and so I was like so when I found when I saw that I thought that is probably the greatest compliment that I could ever receive thinking that I'm making space for myself to have to be like to have relevant important needed conversation and then I'm bringing the table to sit all of my people around too, because we deserve to be heard. And it's the, I want to go into a room and feel like whatever color anybody else is, whatever background anyone else is that I am worthy of being there. I am enough. I have to, that is a lot of self-work. I have to believe it inside of myself. But if I had a community of people who I knew related to that experience, and I could tell them about my ropa vieja story, I could tell them about the other things I would walk in not like with the table and an army of people who feel the same way that I do. And that's why in November, which is like what, three months ago, I posted a clip of that song on TikTok and I just thought I'm either going to get creamed (laughs) or I'm going to find people who relate and who understand my And it was within 10 days that the song started going viral. And so I was like, okay, there's something here. I think other people want to talk about this and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to just keep going and see what comes of this because maybe this is what every other song I'd ever written, you know, that maybe that's what all of this was for. And so, (laughs) yeah, but I a hundred percent agree with everything you said. With your permission, I'd love to share a short clip of La Situación of course, so people can understand and then go download it. So hold on, give me, uh, let's go. Okay, let's go ahead and play it. Okay, cool. Thanks. 
Esta es la situación, esta, esta es la situación. Buscando where I belong, ven buscando where I be. Esta es la situación, esta, esta es la situación. Buscando where I belong, ven buscando where I be. Vamos. I want to play the whole thing, but I'm not going to play the whole thing because people need to download it. But I needed to give them enough so they're like, oh, yeah, I need to go download it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. No, I love that. And I love how you are calling out your abuela, your mom. You're like, you're really bringing your familia into it, which is amazing. Mm. Um, so like I said, the first, I think the first video I saw was you sharing it with your mom. Yeah. Now that they've heard the whole thing, your mom's heard it, your kids have heard it, your husband has heard it, your, uh, you know, like your family has heard it. What do they think? I think it's so amazing. I think it's unconsciously or subconsciously. I get those confused all the time, but I've been feeling this way my whole life. I've married a gringo. Okay. So I'm married to a white man who has a very different experience when he walks into those rooms. So we've gotten into, you know, some serious conversations where I've broken down and he's like, why is it such a big deal? And I'm like, and I can't explain it. I don't know how to use words to explain why it's such a big deal. Cause I hadn't unpacked everything before it to make, to, to, to be able to explain why this like four on a scale of one to 10 feels like a catastrophic 10. Right? So the greatest, I think, thing for me was to be able to, for them to hear this and then look at me and go, I see you. It makes sense. Now I understand like, I'm, you know, it was like me, instead of me sitting there with you and saying, okay, this is why I feel this way. And this is what's going on. And this is, it was just like, here, press play, listen. And that's how I've always shared. Like, I mean, I've shared creatively. Right. And sometimes I've written songs about the Coachella song, like that Sam Feld song was very personal to me. So I have like expressed myself in my songwriting, but never to this level, but like why, of course that would be the way that I would be the most eloquent that I would be the most. And it was when I started infusing Spanish into my songs where it's this song in Spanglish, right? It's that's how my brain works. Like I think in Spanglish. And so when I didn't think, I couldn't think of a word that rhymes in Spanish. I use it in English. I use it in vice versa. It was just this culmination of what I've always loved in writing songs and of being me being the most vulnerable and authentic self and writing this song that I feel like I was so proud to share it because if you don't like the lyrics, I think the melody might get stuck in your head. <laughs> and if you <laughs> don't like the melody, no, right. If you don't like the melody, then maybe the lyrics will speak to you. It's, it was so easy to see like my aunts and uncles and my cousins and every, you know, everybody who has different, their own experiences to relate mm -hmm. to it. And then to also see me in my most authentic and raw and vulnerable self. And then for them to be like, Hey, that I get that. I see you yeah. that kind of love and just validation there was pretty incredible. I have Apple music, but I'm going to go actually buy it for you <laughs> because I think it's very important, right? That we, you know, we, we talk about supporting one another. We talk all this talk, but you know, are you putting your money where your mouth is? Right. Oh, so I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to buy your song. I'm not going to just like, mm -hmm. even though I can get it for free off of Apple music, since I pay for Apple music or Spotify, mm -hmm. I'm going to go buy it because thank you. That's how we're really, that's how we really need to support our community. Speaking of supporting our community, we were talking <laughs> right before we pressed record. Yeah. In regards to different ways to support our community and TikTok was having this Latina follow train. And yes. both of us gone on to whatever. And both of us noticed that people, as soon as you follow them, they're unfollowing you. And I was like, well, we'll talk about this. And here's what I want to say. And we can be each other's biggest supporters. We can be each other, but we're also the, our biggest hindrance. Uh -huh. Because if I'm going out to support you and I'm going out to, to follow you into whatever um, and to support your content, and you're only using me for that follow, you're not contributing to the community. You're only mm -hmm. 
hindering what we can do together. What, like, I know you were saying you were experiencing something similar. So what are your thoughts mm -hmm. on, on just the su supporting each other? Yeah, I think that, I think the Latina follow train was so, it was really inspiring. And from what I understood, I felt like it was to elevate Latina creators. So people who were making content, who were making videos, who were trying to represent us in either fashion spaces or music or, um, or just lifestyle or just really trying to just to create content. And so I start, I jumped on it because of course I want to support and I followed as many people as I could. There were also other videos that I was having that were, so it was just hard to know and hard to tell, but I did everything. I mean, I have like, I'm following like 600 amazing Latinas. And so that I pulled from this, uh, the follow train, I think what I'm noticing is sometimes I'll be like, I'll have less followers that day than I did. And I knew I, I got more, but I have less, I think, because there's a lot of unfollows happening. Mm -hmm. And maybe those are some people who I may have missed who I didn't end up following, but I also go back and I've noticed that I'm the only one following some of the people who followed me. And it's like, maybe they don't like my content. Like that's totally fair. I hope it's not that we're going tit for tat on who's following who and unfollowing and saying, you know, that kind of a thing. Because I think at the end of the day, if there's a Latina making content that you like, it shouldn't matter if they're following you back. In my opinion, I also think that it's, it's important to be creating, you know, if you're, if you want to be followed back, it's also like, okay, well, let's then let's create things that are building into the community and representing us as well. There's been, I've seen some videos. I also was, someone t uh, emailed me or DM'd me and told me that I was like, somebody commented on another video that I don't follow back, that I'm somebody who's benefited from the follow train and has not, and doesn't follow back. And I was like, go look, I've got say, I mean, everyone who's ever followed and commented on my follow train videos, like I follow them right back. I've made so many incredible friends mm -hmm. who are engaging in my content, who I'm engaging with them. And so my integrity is everything to me. I am sharing my songs at the expense of being quite uncomfortable doing it. So I have nothing to gain from like sneaking followers in yeah. using or exploiting something for, you know, like a, tr a hashtag for my own gain. I, I have nothing, you know? And so I think it's just like that kind of mentality of like, Oh, you know, people are, I think that's what has been dividing us for a long time. And I feel like if the Latina fall train turns into anything other than just let's get, you know, support who you think is cool, create, you know, support content that you think is awesome, especially Latina, so that there could be more representation for us. I think we're, you know, we're backtracking. Yeah. Um, and I think it's fair to say if somebody follows you, go check out their, you know, you can go check out their page and go check. And if it's not content that you want on your page, then that's okay. Right. Like it's totally fine to just follow and unfollow. And I, I remember that was a thing on Instagram for a while. I don't know if it still is. Like I, I don't have like a huge following, but it's really hard to follow everybody back. And sometimes I'm like, well, if they're a private account and I don't know who they are, I don't follow them back. Right. If I look at their thing and I see that they like, and I do try even on Instagram, I do try like to look at the profiles when people follow me, because if I feel like they're fake profiles, I'll remove the follower myself Yeah, because I would rather have a small community of real people who support one another yes. than, you know, 30,000 people where half of them are fake. Totally. And apparently you can only follow 200 people a day on TikTok. And so if you're getting a thousand new followers in a day, you can only follow a, a fifth of them. And then well, how are you going to keep track for tomorrow? It's all just like, I think the intention I think was beautiful for everybody to do this. And so I just think getting into the weeds on any of these other little topics, like it's just, if you, if you like the content, follow it because Latinas should be supporting Latinas that are enjoying each other's stuff. Right. And, yes. and we should so. support in not just our community. We need to support other people that come from communities of color because 
our voices collectively are a lot stronger than they are separate. And it's super yes. important that we follow other Latinas, that we other that we follow other Black creators that we like, that we follow other Native creators, Asian creators that we like their content. It's really important that we follow one another because again, our voices collectively are so much stronger. So much stronger. And that's what my music's about. I mean, my next song is called Madre Creator. I, I, f- I feel like that might be my next single. I mean, I have so many other songs that I I could share. But you like, did a I snippet mean, of that as well, right? Yeah, I've yeah, shared some snippets. I, it's running in my head. <laughs> yes, I know. And, it, and it's just about empowering women and Latinas and moms. And so all I want to do is have my my music be in the background of Latinas and moms and women and anybody just slaying and being badasses out there. You know, that's all I want. And so, you know, I hope that that comes through when I like don't take myself too seriously. I'm in my pajamas in most of the videos. I'm not wearing makeup. I'm just like trying to be present and be authentic because I'm so exhausted from pre- pretending and portraying myself in another, any other way. And hopefully Girl, that, I hear connects. you've been there, done that. It is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Somebody other than fully who you are. A hundred percent. And if that connects with people, great. If you don't like it, it's all good. It's, I have only love like to, you know, uh, to share with in, in all of that. And so, but yeah, the social media experience overall has been incredible because I feel like I have built a little, like I'm building, um, growing a community of people who really deserve to be heard and who really deserve to be, to feel like they are enough. They're not too much of anything. They're not, they're not lacking in any way. Like they're showing up in their shade, their color, their, who they are is such a beautiful thing. And if we support each other and know that we, there's an army of us who feel the same way, we're truly unstoppable. If we channel the strength of our ancestors and really are proud of our roots and say, Hey, I am here from all the blood, sweat, tears, generations of, of leaving revolutions and, and escaping wars. Like we are here for a reason. If we walk in with that kind of confidence, <laughs> imagínate lo que no podemos hacer. Like it's right? it's game on, right? And so I'm. That's all I want to do is with my songs is empower that fierceness to to really claim what's ours because I think it's rumbling. It's time. Like mm-hmm. we're coming and we're growing in America and just women entrepreneurs in the last year are like the leading businesses, you know, like we're Latinas create businesses at a faster rate than any other demographic. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're just like, we are paving our own way and people are noticing. And so we've got to take this time and really, it's just so exciting. And so I just want my songs playing in the background as everyone's just (laughs) crushing it. Well, I always tell people, always give people an opportunity to say one last thing, but I feel like you said like the last thing that you (laughs) want to say, um, how can people find you on social media, music, everything? How can people find you? Yeah. It's just Heidi Rojas music, R-O-J-A-S, Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, Heidi Rojas music. It's on all those socials. Um, that's it. I mean, my song is out and hopefully- Yes, La Situación. Hopefully um, I'll put another song out like every month or so and just hopefully just continue to just go kind of buy do it. What... Don't just download it. Go buy it, mi gente. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Spend you. the $1.99. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have it forever. Even when all streaming services go away, you'll have it. <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. Thank you so much for having me. You're amazing. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we connected. I'm so glad I reached out and that you um, are sharing your time, your story, your music (laughs) with us. Because I know you've been busy. You've been like all all over the place on all of these different things. So um, I appreciate you sharing your time and your story with us as well. Of course. Thank you so much. And hopefully this Until is just next the beginning time. for Oh yeah, girl. For us. When you I hope we're up, friends I'm gonna have you back. Be like, don't forget about Oh, get out of here. (laughs) We're friends now. You're stuck with me. Yes, we are. Thank you. (laughs) Until next time, gente. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.